Okay, so if you can make some noise for our first guest, his name is Rob Moore, entrepreneur, best-selling author, an absolute superstar. Let's give him a big, big round of applause. <laughs> here he is, my man. How are you? Come Thank and see you down here. Thank you. Woo, Yes, yes, yes. Thank, Thank you, guys. How is that for an entrance? Yeah, really good. Nice energy, get you fired <laughs> up. Rob, thanks so much for coming, my man. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, good. Good, good. So this is what's come to fruition since the last time that you um, were with us in Peterborough. Yeah. 50 fantastic businesses, all focused on creating wealth. This is our third event now. Um, so we've been very, very excited and been waiting for you for the last three months. So thanks for your time and really, really appreciate it. Pleasure. Everyone's a bit smarter than last time. Because yeah. you're at the Dorchester. Yeah. Not, We've gone not from... a shitty hotel in Peterborough. Oh, it wasn't that bad. That's nothing against that you, bad. mate. Nothing yeah. against you. Name me a good hotel in Peterborough. Oh, you can't. No. You can't. I'd say Wandsford, but that's not quite yeah. So we've gone from Gurkha Durbar on Peterborough High Street to the Dorchester on Park Lane. Is that a level up or what, guys? Yeah, amazing. Good stuff. Um, so yeah, very, very excited. And, um, you know, what I want to focus on with you today really is um, investments and brand. You know, you've been putting out for a very, very long time. You've been putting out for a very, very long time um, incredible content. And, um, you know, I've been watching over the years. And one of the first questions that I've got for you is how to get rich in a recession? The well, million dollar question. Well, the easiest way to get rich is in a recession. The hardest way to get rich is in a boom. Um, the last few years before lockdown, how could you compete with Facebook, Google? You couldn't. And now they're letting off tens of thousands of staff. Amazon went down a trillion in value. Like the first company ever to become a trillion dollar valued company and the first one to lose a trillion dollars happened within a few short years in the boom. So people always ask me, how do you make money in a recession? I'd say, well, how do you make money in a boom? It's much harder, way harder because everyone's booming, you've got more competition. So when lockdown happened, um, I would say 80% of my competitors immediately stopped doing business, immediately. I mean, it was illegal to run our business. So would you rather everyone's fighting, competing against you, but you know, everyone's feeling good, or no one's competing against you, but everyone's feeling shit. I know what I'd rather have. Um, so here's a few tips. You might want to write them down, because I like to give you practical stuff on how to make money in a recession. Number one is you've got to look at where the money was and where it's going to. Because you want to be where the money is going to, not where the money is flowing away from. So if you still have a shop on Peterborough High Street, the money is moving away from you. Whereas if you've just developed 142 units in the town centre of Peterborough, the money is flowing towards you. We've just finished a 42 apartment block. I don't know how many of you are from Peterborough. It's called Scape. You'll, you'll know it if you're from Peterborough. 
and then another one on the other side of the road was 99 apartments. My business partner was like, fuck, 99 apartments, I don't know what we're going to do about filling these because if we put them all on the market, we're going to flood the market, we're going to compete against ourselves. We put them on the market, they went within six weeks. 99 apartments in Peterborough rented within six weeks. That wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. So on the high street in Peterborough, the shops are closing down, the small businesses are closing down, but those buildings that are empty are ripe for conversion. So the money is moving towards development and conversion in the centre and away from sort of retail high street. Like, I just have to say it how it is. If anyone thinks it's hard to make money, then um, they're not awake right now. Because I guess everyone in this room is on social media. You can't scroll without some little shit who hasn't even got pubes, who's making a million pounds on social media. <laughs> you cannot. These kids are making millions. Women taking their clothes off, making millions. You'd do that, wouldn't you? I would. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's only fans. Yeah. Who joined? <laughs> No one. No. <laughs> Manga, I thought at least you'd have your hand up. <laughs> so it's easier than ever. Well, it's easier than ever to find a business model that makes money. I guess the challenge is that there's a lot more people online now. So the money's moving away from retail and into development or conversion. The money's moving away from physical businesses to online businesses. So setting up a podcast, launching a YouTube channel, doing content every day on social media and unlocking all the monetization tools and features, becoming the go-to expert in your niche by being the active commentator in your niche. They're great ways to make money in a recession. And the next thing is you, you want to be liquid. And people don't know the difference between cash and liquidity. Um, the paradox of cash is this. Warren Buffett says you should hold a load right now and Grant Cardone calls it trash. Who's right? Well, they're both right. Because right now... Mate, you need to get a discount with all this fucking noise. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> um, right now, if you had 10 million quid... You could buy cheap watches, cheap cars, and soon to come, cheap properties and definitely cheap businesses. So you could do a lot with a few million quid. But if that few million quid sat in the bank for a year or more, 15% or more of that is gone with inflation. So you have this paradox of cash where if you hold on to it too long, it's getting wiped out by inflation. But if you don't have any, when it's time to go shopping in the recession, you can't buy any cheap assets. So the difference between cash and liquidity is that cash is the amount of money you've got, liquidity is the amount of money you can get. And that's really different. Like, this phone could get me 100 million pounds because I've got some very rich and famous people on my WhatsApp or my Black Book or whatever. So I could get more out of this phone than I could out of my bank accounts, which is important. So um, yes, you want cash, but you also want to be liquid. I could talk about this the whole so day. So how do you, how do you um, know, let's say that you don't have an investment strategy and you've got some cash, 
and you know there's a recession, so you know you're going to get deals, but you don't know what deals to look for. So as a beginner on that road, what do you think is the best strategy to go down to get the deals? Is it property? If so, in property, what property? Okay, so I think there's two ways to break down investing. One is in yourself, and one is in some kind of asset. So actually, for many of you, if you have some liquid, you might be best putting it into marketing in your business to grow your business. That might be the best return on that spend. You might be best investing in your education, building your network, going to events, joining masterminds, programs, etc. So educating yourself. Because I believe you are your best asset, invest in yourself wisely, you pay yourself the best return. So it kind of depends where you're at. Then there's asset classes. So if you gave me, say, 100 grand and you put a gun to my head and you said, Rob, how are you going to get the best return on this 100 grand? I'd probably put it all into marketing to generate leads for my business because I know that could make me 10 million quid. So it could probably make me more than property. But in 10 years, if I bought a property, if I put 100 grand into property, got a 400 grand property, in 10 years, that's going to be 800 grand asset. So I think Joe was asking the question about a physical asset. Um, I think the best investment class to invest in is one that you could get passionate about. Because you've got cryptos, stock market, watches, wines, art, classic cars, property, and there's all different types of property. There's a lot of different classes, and you can lose a lot of money on all of those classes, or you could make a lot of money on all of those classes. So to start, assuming you're not a professional investor, I would say, out of all the classes that you can see out there, which one could you actually do as a sport? Like, which one would you enjoy? Which one could, would you play with Monopoly money if it wasn't real money? So for me, it's actually watches. I have 360 properties, 1,250 tenants, and I fucking hate property. I'm not interested in property, but I do love the nearly 100 million pounds worth of property that I own and the seven-figure a year income that comes from it. And I say that because actually people don't really know that about me because they know me for the podcast and the rants on social media and stuff because I don't really talk about property. But I don't like property, but I like the money. So there's that kind of asset where essentially you're just parking. I did like property for quite a few years. I just fell out of love with it. Investments like property, which you need banks, and you know they work when the system's good, but you also need something when the system is not good. Because I wasn't talking about this 10 years ago, but honestly, I think this country is fucking ruined. I think they've fucked the country with the lockdown, which to me was an outrageous, almost illegal activity, certainly the second and the third one. Um, like, we all run businesses here, and it was, it was illegal to run your business two and a half years ago. But now if you look at the data, more people died because of lockdown than because of COVID. And they've all just fucking got away with it. Boris is going to earn a quarter of a million pound of speech thanks to it. Sorry, mate, this is... Probably shouldn't go on these rants, should I? No, go on, keep going, keep going. But, like, let's say none of this doomsday happens. There's no run on the banks. Tax doesn't go up to 80%. Blah, blah, blah. 
but you've got all these assets. You're sorted. Let's say it does fucking happen. You, you're sorted. Either way, you're sorted. So, I love watches because you can wear them, you can enjoy them. They're pretty easy to store. They're very good to hide. They mostly go up in value. I never post my watches on social media, by the way, because if you do that and you have expensive watches, you're highly likely to get mugged in this very city Absolutely. we're in. It's one of the worst. So I don't post any of my watches on um, social media. But yeah, I love watches. It's interesting that you say that you fell out of love with property, because one of the questions was, how does your young man like you before he's 40? Okay, acquire so many properties, 360. Because there was a period that you just must have been on an insane mission um, to build that portfolio. And did you build it so quickly with so much energy that you now can't fucking stand it? But you've now got an amazing, um, as you say, rent roll and um, you know, the cash that comes in, income from it. And how do you get there? Because if guys like, you know, people do one or two, how do you go and get 360 before you're 40? Um, what energy does that take? What moves have you got to make? I used to love property. I, I, I don't hate property. I just don't like tenants. <laughs> and it's all right to say it in this room because tenants don't like landlords. <laughs> um, I don't like boilers. You, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like boilers. We've got a lot of your old skeletons, haven't we, coming out here? Um, but yeah, I, I don't like the nuts and bolts of management of property, but I like the nuts and bolts of management of business. So um, I guess I fell out of love with it when, I, when I'd made enough money that I could retire for m many lifetimes. Um, so how did we do it? Well, um, 2008 was brilliant for us. So back to your recession question. Um, in Peterborough, property prices peaked at around about 06, 07. And it was getting to the point back then where the yields and the returns were actually quite low. And back then, interest rates were 5 and 6%, and that was quite normal. And then the recession happened. And all of a sudden, interest rates pretty quickly went to near zero. And these properties fell 25 30% within months. And, you know, we just went shopping. And we bought dozens of properties with other people's money. And we couldn't believe how cheap they were buying properties for between 35 and 70 grand in Peterborough, which are all now worth 150 to 250 grand. So um, first thing we did, Joe, was we started in a recession. Mm -hmm. And had we started in 2003, it would have been a lot more difficult. So recession's probably coming, good opportunity to start. Um, property's actually not that difficult. Get down the high street in your local town or city, get to know all of the estate agents, build a relationship with them, get them to take you seriously, and just make sure that um, you put enough offers in a year so that they don't think you're wasting their time, and put offers in low enough such that if you got the deal agreed, you'd find the money. Because what a lot of people do is go, well, I'll, I'll go and view some properties when I've got the money to buy, which never happens. And then they go and view and then they never put any offers in because they're not ready. Or they don't dare put lower offers in in case they upset or offend anyone. If you don't upset or offend anyone, your offer hasn't been low enough. Um, and then once you've got a couple or three or however many, estate agents start to get really hungry, the good ones, and they start calling you up. Deals, the best deals never even get in the window. 
If, it, if you buy properties looking in the window, you're buying stuff at market value. If you get the calls before they even go in the window. The best ones, are in, in, in a state agency, you have the lister and you have the negotiator. The lister basically goes out, views the property, and wins the listing. And the decent negotiators will have this little under-the-table deal with the lister, whereby on the way back in the car, the lister will find the neg, and the lister will say, I've just done this deal, and the neg will phone me before the lister gets back to the estate agents, and the neg will say, do you want the deal? And I'll say yes. And um, it's probably not, it's probably a bit taboo to say this, but uh, I don't give a fuck. But unless you give the estate agent some kind of personal reward for sourcing your deals, they'll source deals to someone else who'll give them a personal reward. And by the way, for us, it was never a bung. We never actually gave any estate agents any cash. Because, you know, the brown envelopes things bit for the 80s. But track days and teeth like Joe, Joe V over there. The amount of estate agents we bought a new set of 25 teeth. grand teeth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, tanning vouchers for the end of the you female ones. Honestly, I'm, no, I'm not fucking taking the piss. I'm not taking the piss. Not, we got fucking loads of deals on teeth and tanning vouchers. And track days. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that, that, there you go. There's a Okay, good. Okay, so, all right, so you started to fall out of love with property. Is that because you started to fall in love with yourself? And the reason that I say that is you're on a personal brand mission, so you're building you, aren't you? And if you, do you see more value in you than you do in continuing to build your property portfolio? Because you fell out of love with that, now you've fallen in love with you, and now all you do is build you. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't know that I'm in love with myself. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Just as much as I am. <laughs> Definitely in love not with as myself, much as you not you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my journey was property investing, business and entrepreneurship, personal brand. Property investing, business and entrepreneurship, personal brand. So um, I started in property, I loved property. When we got to a certain size in property, I didn't really love the management and maintenance and logistics and administration of property. Then we built um, training businesses. I have the largest property training company in the UK. It's called Progressive Property. Um, and I really enjoyed teaching others and I really enjoyed the public speaking element. I, I enjoyed growing that company. That company has 110 staff in the office with the agency and we have about 44 outsourcers. So we're over 150 staff now. And I like having a company, and I like having staff. A lot of people don't want staff because they don't want the headaches. I want the headaches, because I know with the headaches come the rewards. Um, and I've not fallen out of love with growing companies, Joe, and I don't think I ever will. Personal brand, I, I, I'm, Joe thinks I'm like him, but I'm not. In that I, I have a lot of self-conflict, and if, I probably wouldn't have put myself on social media had social media not been the place to put yourself. But what I will do is I will do what needs to be done to be successful. Whatever needs to be done, I'll do it. So I'll go on social media, I'll do Facebook Lives, I'll do fucking TikToks, I'll do stories. I'll, I mean, I fucking hate TikTok. I really fucking hate TikTok. 
But I do it because it makes me money. I actually love podcasts. I love interviewing people. I quite like doing Facebook Lives now. I don't like doing pre-recorded content. I don't like reading scripts. But I do it. I do it because it needs to be done to win the game. So personal brand is something I probably wouldn't necessarily have chosen to do, Joe. I just did it because um, another reason I like doing personal brand is because it's far cheaper to grow your business than running ads. So um, I spend about 350 grand a month on ads. And sometimes you scratch your head going, where the fuck does that money go? And by the way, we track everything, but it's still hard to track because each time I look at our ad spend and I say to my team, we've spent 350 grand this month, you know, that's a fucking lot of money. How about we cut 10% of that? They pull the data out and they go, yeah, but people are buying from ads that we did in 2017. So we need to keep spending the ads so that they'll buy in 2026. And as long as we've got the data to prove that, then I can't really argue with that. So I'm sort of a bit like addicted. I'm, I'm you know, Google and Facebook and YouTube they're like your crack dealers that, that they've got you that if I stop spending 350 grand, I could make a bit more net profit for the next few months. But in a 23, 2024, my margins are going to go way down and my lead volume is going to go way down. So I'll, do, I'll spend what needs to be spent and I'll do what needs to be done to grow my business. But I feel a bit... I feel a bit controlled by the ad platforms. Um, whereas when you've got a personal brand and you're on social media, you can say what you want, do what you want, and your leads and your clients are free. So I've got a membership site, it's called Rob.team. Could I just put it into context before you go on to that and just let us know what sort of turnover um, £350,000 a month generates you? Um, so. At peak before lockdown, um, our, our highest revenue year was 21 million. It dropped to about 12 in lockdown, mm -hmm. but our profit went up. It's back up now to probably 16 to 18. I, would, I think we'll do 16 to 18 this year. Um, our overheads are about 900 grand a month, and that is split pretty much a third <laughs> between ads, staff, and then everything else like premises and you know, rent and rates and yada yada. So that's, that's rough. And the that's, reason I'm asking that's the that, training company, not the property investment business. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm asking that just because I want everybody in the room to understand about the amount of money that does need to be spent on marketing if you want to grow your revenues. I think people want to grow sales, but they don't understand that they've got to pump the front end with that marketing spend, especially with a lot of businesses in the room being in construction. You know, a lot of people have built businesses based on connections and word of mouth. So advertising, marketing, social media brand it's not something that um, business owners in this space are really really used to so I'm always encouraging the business owner to triple down on the marketing spend to drive the sales um, so you know I just wanted to kind of pin that down for you because the question is how much are you spending on marketing every month and what are your current sales because there'll be a direct correlation between how much you spend and how much revenue that you're achieving your revenue is not going to keep growing unless you're spending lots of money at the front end and you keep scaling that up profitably of course if you can do but you've got to build it out I remember learning from a, a marketing expert about 15 years ago 
when I wasn't spending much money on ads and I was wearing it like a badge of honour. I've got all my business from word of mouth. I don't need to spend on ads. Um, uh, normally when someone says that six to tw 12 months later, they're fucked. And we've all said it. And then you're fucked because you don't have a pipeline and you need a pipeline. Um, and he said to me, the person or company that can spend the most to acquire a client will win the game. Because if, some, if your competitor can spend more than you to acquire a client, assuming it's profitable, by the way, not a loss leader, then they can just outspend you. So this is really important. You should write this down. The person who can spend the most to acquire the client wins the game. I mean, imagine launching um, a, a soft drinks company, a fizzy, brown-watered soft drinks company. Well, Coca-Cola can spend billions just on the World Cup. And they can get in front of a billion people because they can spend that kind of money. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not saying go and waste a load of money. It's absolutely vital as well. Write this down. Um, you cannot master what you do not measure. Therefore, you must track all your marketing spend. O on the note, though, of advertising and how I feel a bit um, cornered by these companies. Imagine how pissed you would be if you were Budweiser. I don't know if you saw what happened with Budweiser, but you know, Budweiser are sponsoring the Qatar World Cup and there's no alcohol in the stadiums. And I bet you, that, I bet you they've dropped a billion plus on that sponsorship deal. This is the problem with that. You can spend a load of money and it can just not work. So, with ads, start small, test everything. Start small, test everything. The next thing I was just going to mention is when you've got your own personal brand and you've got listeners of your podcast and viewers of your YouTube and followers of your TikTok and your Instagram and Facebook, um, you can use that to build your business. So um, I have many clients who are a six-figure client to me. Um, and I would have acquired them from social media. And I have clients who pay £10 a month, no, £6 a month for Rob.team, and I acquired them on social media. I have 10,000 members of that membership site, all acquired from social media, no ads, no ads at all. Because £6 a month, I don't want to have to spend 50 quid to acquire a £6 a month client, which is what some software firms would do. Um, but you can acquire them for free on social media. So if you're not putting yourself out on social media, then the clients that you haven't got, that your com competitors have got, can't find you. And I was running a social media mastermind yesterday with, um, we've all got um, around about 2 million followers each on social media, a bit above or a bit below, but give or take. And everyone said the same thing. We are in the world where attention is currency. You don't have attention, you don't have currency. If you're not known, how can someone buy from you if they don't know you? And social media is the best place to get known. 
Who feels a little uncomfortable posting out and putting content on social media in the room? Okay. It's about 60%. Because it's interesting to um, hear what you say, you know, because obviously the way you come across on social media is you're super confident, you're very knowledgeable, and you're all in on it. Um, but you, what you're saying earlier was you want, you, you, once you weren't like that, but you saw that you'll do whatever it takes to build your business and get your brand out there. So how do you go through that transition to start getting comfortable with it? Because you're on it nonstop, night and day. Um, but obviously it's having a, it's had an amazing impact on you and your business. So how do you get comfortable? How are the people in the room gonna get comfortable? And what would be the first steps? Rather than just putting out a picture or whatever. You know, do you recommend that they're doing lives or you know, how, how are you getting over that fear of what to post and what to say? Okay, so um, Joe said I'm on social media night and day. I'm not, I do about 30 minutes content a day. It looks like I'm on it night and day because my first tip to you to answer part of Joe's question is um, create one piece of content on one channel and then repurpose it and cross post it across multiple channels. That's essentially what I do. So I'm going to interview Katie Hopkins after this for my podcast disruptors. I'll get probably 45 pieces of content from that one interview. The YouTube, a few YouTube shorts, some TikToks, some reels, blah, blah, blah. So tip number one, is maximum leverage of time. Now, Joe, your question needs context. Because to answer the question on helping you put more out on social media, I need to know why you're not. And, every, and everyone has different reasons for why they're not. So I need to know why you're not. And then I'll tell you how to do it. Who wants to tell us why they're not? Go, Joe. I think it's just the... Um circle of people that you have around you in your own town. So putting yourself out there opens you up to, I suppose, criticism as such, but that's a, a genuine... Yeah. Issue. Well, this is common. Um, the way I see it in your circle is that you want people in your circle that de deserve to be in your circle. And everyone else can get the fuck out of your circle, because this is my circle. And a great way to test that is to go on social media and promote your business, because you'll soon know who your friends are and who your friends aren't. So some people see it to hold them back. I would see it as a, a good filtering process. Like all my best mates, they've bought all my books, and they support what I do. And I buy their programs, or I donate to their GoFundMes when um, my mate runs the marathon, everyone gives him a tenner, I give him 500 quid. I'll take it, that's for you. No, that's for you. Okay. I had that one ordered especially for you. No, it's not. <laughs> Thank a you. I'm really sorry. Couldn't get you that one, I'm afraid. Rob sent a DM to Marvina asking for an extra skinny almond milk, double shot, chocolate sprinkle coffee to be delivered here before he arrived and said, hopefully that's not too deaverish. He wanted a bag of Skittles with all the colours separated. It was just insane. It was like five to ten. Matt managed to pull off the coffee, but the Skittles we couldn't deliver. I'm sorry. Fuck you. <laughs> um, so, I think it's a really good test of who your friends are by promoting yourself on social media. 
number one. Um, I'm going to make the assumption that some of you in the room can relate, whereby you're concerned about what friends or family or circle or insert any other person thinks about you. And I've got a few tips on this. Because some people say, it doesn't fucking matter what people think about you, just go and promote yourself, it doesn't fucking matter. But if, if it was as easy as that, everyone would just wouldn't care. So hopefully this will help. Um, if you curated a perfected, highly credible, experienced version of yourself that you were comfortable to put out on social media, that person would still get highly criticised. If you put out a raw, imperfect, couldn't give a fuck, you know, bit of a hustler, not really got a lot of experience yet, just, you know, trying to do some moves, if you put that person out on social media, it's going to generate a lot of fans and followers. So whatever version of you you put out on social media, you'll get lovers and haters, followers, fans and critics, no matter who you are, what you do, what you say. So I've got this mentor, and he, he taught me that nothing in life is one-sided. And everything in life has an equal set of upsides and downsides. Highly balanced upsides and downsides. Any situation you can think of, if you remove your one-sidedness and your emotions which take you to one-sided extremes, elation, depression. You balanced yourself and you went into logical mode, not emotional mode, and you viewed a situation from afar, you could pick upsides and downsides from it. Equally. There's nothing that you couldn't. Even traumatic events. In fact, many of you who've had traumatic events years ago, some of you will say that was one of the best things that happened to me in my life. Why? Because you have perspective and hindsight and you're emotionally balanced now. This was one of the best things I ever got taught in life. Why? Because no matter what I do and no matter what I say, some are going to love me and some are going to loathe me. So I might as well just be myself. So if people are going to love you and people are going to loathe you anyway, you might as well get fucking rich. Like, why not? They'll fucking hate me if I'm rich, but they'll hate me if I'm broke. So fuck it. I'll be one of them. I'll be a hated millionaire, not a hated zeroer. Let's give him a round of applause for that answer. I've got a lot of time for that answer. Thank you very much. Love that, my man. Thank you. Okay, good. Um, so I know that's going to be a common one amongst the room of why we don't post on social media. Is there any more? Mustafa? I think my technical. What's your work? What about if you simplified the technical? Well, you do it. Yeah. Simplifying the technical, um, that is something that people value greatly. Little hacks. You must have loads of little hacks. Ways to fix and find things. That's what I would show on social media. I mean, because you could, I mean, I could, I could get my um, profit and loss and balance sheet out and I could go uber technical on what that looks like. 
go into depreciation, deferred income. I don't talk about that shit on social media. Talk about the, I try and distill things into relatively understandable concepts for the masses. Oh, by the way, if anyone's thinking I haven't got time, I just need to call you on your own bullshit. You have got time to post on social media. If you've got time to be rich, if you've got time to be successful, you've got time to post on social media. Everybody has time. In fact, I, I make this commitment to myself. Whenever someone says to me I'm too busy, it fucking pisses me off. Because no one's too busy. I've got 10 million pounds in my pants. Are you too busy to get in my pants? No. No, you're not. You'll make time to get in my pants because there's 10 million pounds in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to get in Rob's pants? <laughs> no one is too busy. <laughs> no one is too busy for what's important to them. The amount of times that people blow me off in business because they're too busy. You're not fucking too busy. You just don't want to do it. That's because you've got 10 enough. million in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> so stop saying too busy. Don't have a little rule. I think it's an important rule. Don't say too busy to yourself and don't say too busy to anyone else. Say, it's not important enough. Or, I'm working on other things. Like, if, if I was rejecting someone, I wouldn't say it's not important enough, because that's a bit harsh. I'd say that to myself, though. If I'm bullshitting myself that I'm too busy, I'll reframe that to, it's not important enough to me right now. When it's other people, I always say, I'm working on too many projects right now. Which, that's the truth. So stop lying to yourself and stop lying to other people. I got my Facebook Live done at 8.30 a.m. this morning. And if I couldn't do it at 8.30 a.m., I could have done it in the taxi on the way here. And if I couldn't do it in the taxi on the way here, I could have done it out the back there while you were all doing your shares. There's always fucking time. I, I fucking hate excuses. I really hate excuses. Um, and I hate excuses in my team. But the, mo the excuses I hate the most are the ones I say to myself. And I always try and catch, so, you know, Joe's like, oh, you know, you love yourself. I actually, I'm quite a harsh critic of myself. So I don't like it when I say I'm too busy. I don't like it, when, like the lockdown. I don't think love yourself has to come across in an arrogant way, though, does it? Do you genuinely love yourself in a nice way? Do you appreciate yourself? Not like love yourself, I didn't look at me, I'm the mate, best looking man I didn't man come on here for a fucking therapy session, so. No. That shut me up. Right, back to it. <laughs> In, in, no, in some ways I'm damaged goods, but I've managed to turn that round into making a lot of money. I don't think you have to love yourself. I don't think you have to be super confident. I don't think you have to have you know, really amazing high self-worth to be really confident. In fact, a lot of people who give that bravado, they're quite hurt inside. We're all, we're all carrying shit and baggage and pain. We've all fucked up stuff. And actually, I embrace all of that about myself and I try and bring that along with me and use that as motivation. So, uh, yeah, I'm just not, really, just not really that kind of guy, Joe. There's, there's, you're that kind of guy. I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I do love myself, but I love myself um, 
for the right reason. <laughs> in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got to love yourself. Fuck me. If, no, if you don't love yourself, who's going to love you? When my dad left at 13 and my mum got a new partner, I was on my own and I realised that I had to conquer the world by myself. I think I had to develop an unwavering level, a level of self-belief to be able to propel me to achieve all of the things that I wanted to achieve. So I think you should love yourself. I think you should back yourself. I think you should tell yourself in the mirror every morning that you're a fucking champion um, and you shouldn't give a fuck what anybody else thinks. I think that you need to achieve. When you stop giving a fuck about what other people think of you, it takes you to a whole new level of freedom. Let me tell you, you know, and I put myself out there going on a TV show. I got absolutely destroyed on social media. I got a lot of haters. I got a lot of lovers. I get destroyed on social media all the time now on my ads, I get rinsed. But who gives a fuck? I make money, they don't. But you know, you cannot let what somebody else is gonna write on a post about you, okay, um, hold you back. You know, especially after what happened with me with Impra, I gave the trolls an even bigger target to attack me. Did I disappear? I remember when Impra had its bad times, my uncle told me to fucking hide away. He said, keep quiet, stay off radar, um, let the dust settle, disappear. I said, fuck that. Right, I'm going all in. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Right, and in two years, I built a multi-million pound business in a market that I'd never been in because I was a, I was I wasn't afraid to fight back. So you know, you got to put yourself out there. Um, but that I think, and I think that's the single biggest thing that people have to overcome is who cares what they say. You know, Gary Vee says, you know, fuck Mr. Dragon one two three four five. You know, whatever he's retweeted you, just overcome it and post it. You know, and look what Rob's achieved. And social media has been a big part of that. Social media has been a big part of my success. And it is the new world, so you've got to be able to conquer it if you want to build personal brand and build your business 100%. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Rob. Can I just add one thing to that? Go for it. Um, I completely agree with everything Joe said there. And Joe learned at a young age to love himself. Um, it took me a lot longer. And... Um, I found conflict very hard and um, other people's opinions had too much weight on me. So I probably came to the same destination in a very different way at probably a much older age than Joe. But um, the, I think there's two things, two things that hold you back the most that if you liberated yourself from these, your life's going to fucking change. And I think you should write them down. Number one is the weight of other people's opinions. And number two is the fear of the mistakes you may make in the pursuit of your dream. So there's people in this room that haven't posted on social media because of what their circle of maybe friends, maybe not friends may think. So that is the weight of other people's opinions. And I've liberated myself from that like you have, Joe. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying some things don't get to me. I'm not saying I don't have my wobbles. I do. But like, my goal for this event is to have, let's say there's 50 of you in this room. My goal is to have 40 to 42 of you, maybe 45 if I've done well, really like me, and five to eight of you to think I'm a cock. <laughs> Yours is more like 15. <laughs> <laughs> Inches. Hey. Yeah, thank you very much, Rob. He's got that on camera. <laughs> New Tinder profile. <laughs> um, 
Like, I know me being myself, some of you have to not relate or resonate because you're just different and you're naturally different and that's okay. And so what I used to do at come to these events is I used to try and make everyone happy. And I'm just making myself more vanilla and dilute. So um, your goal should be to piss some people off by being yourself. So the weight of other people's opinions, when you are yourself on mission and you accept that there's going to be criticism, and you let go of, you strip the weight of other people's opinions, man, all of a sudden you can run a lot fucking faster. Then number two, the fear of consequences of actions. This is, so um, let's say you've got a staff member, they're your top salesperson, but they're nicking a bit off you. You might be scared to call them out because they're your top salesperson, and why are you scared to call them out in case they leave and you don't want to lose that salesperson, but they're nicking a bit off you. If you don't call them out and manage them, they will nick more and more and more, and then other people will learn to nick more and more and more, and before you know it, they're all at it. And you don't challenge them because you're scared of them leaving. So the fear of them leaving handcuffs you. And there are decisions you've all got to make in your business today, by the way, that you've been putting off for weeks and months. You know the right fucking decision, but you're handcuffed by the fear of the consequence of that decision. Face those decisions and make the right decision. It, and by the way, sometimes that leads to short-term pain. But you might be very surprised that actually that thing that you thought would go wrong doesn't. And that fucking baggage that you've had for many years all of a sudden is just liberated. So my attitude to life now is find the problems early, Find the big problems, face the conflict, ideally all by 10 a.m. in the morning, and then spend the, rex, the rest of the day fixing all that shit. Like, I fucking love what Elon Musk did in Twitter. He walked in with the sink, and he fucking fired everyone. And I thought, because Twitter was full of left, woke, opinionated wankers. <laughs> full of it. Thousands of staff clearly doing fuck all. He says he's got 50 staff and they're doing more than his thousands of staff now. Because he had the balls to go in. The first thing he did was, no work from home. Thank fuck. Hallelujah, Elon Musk. Because the amount of people that want to work from home. Does anyone want to work harder from home? No. I mean, you might because you're a business owner. But everyone who wants to work for you doesn't want to work home so they can work harder. They want to work home because they want to work less. I was, one of my staff members was driving me somewhere and he said, I got laid this afternoon. And I was like, nice. I'm thinking, but you were supposed to be working. <laughs> so he's working from home and he's banging his missus instead of doing my fucking editing. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> so Elon Musk goes to the heart of the problem, the heart of the conflict. He finds it and he fixes it with enthusiasm, and that is why he is the richest man in the world. It's crazy just to watch him and the level of confidence that guy has to just be able to walk in and do that, you know, um, is, is incredible. He's losing about four million pounds a day, I think I was reading, um, when he bought it, and he bought it for 44 billion, you know. I just, that guy is just insane. How do you just acquire Twitter on the side while running three of the biggest companies in the world? He's got to be an alien. He's got to. I'm telling you, he's an alien. Yeah, he is AI. 
There's no way that anyone can perform at that level. I think it's just impossible um, that he's not already got his brain linked up to some supercomputer. I just, you can't have that mental capacity. It's impossible. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but... Um, I think I know the answer to this. I think I know <laughs> the answer. How can he do it? Um, so Donald Trump did this talk, and he said, I know a lot of really, really well-educated Harvard yada yada people who are broke. And I know a lot of billionaires, and many of them didn't get any qualifications. And here's the one main difference between them. And this is why Elon Musk is where he is. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is factual. The billionaires can handle a higher level of pressure and stress. So Elon, you think Elon Musk is superhuman only because he can handle a level of pressure and stress that you and I don't know yet. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're the prime minister or the president, you know, I make this decision, people die. I make this decision, people die. Like, I've bitched a lot about lockdown. I think in many ways it was really badly managed. But I also have empathy for the fact that that's a fucking hard decision. And we lock them down, they die. We don't lock them down, they die. And most people can't handle that level of pressure. So the most successful, wealthy business owners can handle a higher level of pressure and stress. The reason 90% of my competitors don't have any staff and they're all wiped out is because they couldn't handle having 100 staff because to them it's pressure and stress. To me, it's a great gift of service to have that many staff. So if you face pressure and stress and handle it like a boss, even if it's hard, then you're going to be very successful. Because actually, if you think about it, it was obvious that Twitter was toxic. And it was obvious that there was a load of people in Twitter who were entitled and who should probably been asked to leave. So all he really did was the obvious in many ways. Mm. Um, but now all the advertisers are leaving and everyone will break around that. But he, I, think he's not, I think he's got high logic, low empathy. Mm. A lot of really hyper-billionaire people, if you look at them, if you go down the rich list, like Bill Gates, not high empathy. Paul Allen, not high empathy. Warren Buffett, not high empathy. So you have to be able to turn empathy off at times if you want to be successful. If you've got too much empathy, you're going to have four friends in your company rather than 100 employees. So it's just turning off a bit of empathy and um, facing pressure and stress. So I like pressure now. I'll tell you something that really helped me as well. And my mentor taught me this. He said there's two types of stress. And you want to write this down. There's eustress and distress. Eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. -S. Distress, you know how to spell that. They are two sides to the same hole. They are both stress. Distress, pain causes cortisol in your body that can awaken cancer or shorten your life, can cause strokes and heart attacks. You stress where you've got a fucking tight deadline, but you're on a mission, you're making things happen, there's lots of problems, but you're fixing them, there's energy, there's dynamism, that's a very different chemical reaction in your body. 
Both of those are decisions that you can choose to make. Elon Musk can go, fucking hell, everyone's leaving Twitter, all the brands are leaving, fuck me, distress. Or he can go, fucking enjoying this. No more work from home, you know, I'm only going to keep the real hustlers. I'm going to turn this company around. That's a decision you make every day. Um, you walk on site, some of your um, contractors have walked off site, bring it on. Where's the opportunity? Where's the upside? So that's something I learned. Fantastic. Now, I want to change the conversation a little bit and um, ask you this question. So I know you've told me in the past one of your biggest fears is going broke and busting out in business. But if that day ever came, yeah, what would you do with the skills that you've got? What would be your first move? Okay. If you lost everything tomorrow, what would you do? Well, I wouldn't lose my watches. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if I lost everything, I would... Um, immediately get back on social media and chart my journey from losing everything to being successful again. And all the people that would be bitching and moaning and hating about me of the fact that I've lost everything, they would just motivate me to gain it all back. So I would definitely build a social media brand and presence, openly tracking the journey of the lessons that I'd had, I would for sure start an information business. So what Joe does is an information business, um, the mastermind of contractors, builders, <coughs> traders, etc. Um, information business is high margin, low cost, high speed. Set up a membership site today, set up a mastermind next week, launch a course next month. So they're, they're the things that I do immediately. Um, one of, the reason one of my biggest fears is going bust is I've kind of got over the fact that all my haters would love it and there would be shame. Uh, like I wouldn't want to, to go there, but I could handle that. I know I could. I just wouldn't want to take other people's money down with me. I think people too easily just take other people's money down with them, especially in America. In America, the, the company laws are even more relaxed. Now, a company law should be relatively relaxed so that you take the risk. But um, if, I think if I went bust, any creditors that got hurt, I'd cut a deal with them and I'd pay them back over time. Mm. That would be the reason I wouldn't want to go bust because that just doesn't seem right to me. I think if you pay all your debts always, in the long run, you're going to have a fucking great reputation. Even if it's not your fault, if you go down and take a load of debt with you, I don't think that's good, personally. I know they see it different in America, and maybe it's a limiting belief of mine. Um, but information, content, social media. Uh, I mean, my Rob.team platform made me 55 grand last month. It made me 155 grand the month before. My YouTube channel made me over 40 grand in the last three and a half weeks. All I'm doing is talking. You know, I get quite a lot of hate for my rants. I also make millions of pounds out of my rants. So bring on the hate. Who fucking cares? Good answer. So just on the Rob.team, so you're making a killing off of that at the moment and you're promoting it big time and you put a lot of effort into it. Now, you've run direct sales business, yeah, and you've obviously... Still run now, one. Yeah, and you still run one. Um, and you've now got your subscription business or your recurring revenue model business. I personally have always been in direct sales <sighs> businesses. Um, 
I like them because they're fast and you can get high ticket, but they're also very tiring because you've got to do it again at the beginning of the next month. Um, next day. Yeah, next day. It's, it's, there's no time off. And, um, but, that, but it's a good business. But if you had to choose now between running the two, which would you, go, which would you, which would you do? Would you do a mix of both? Would you go all in on recurring or would you stay all in on direct? Because I know a lot of people, again, in construction, it's hard to put in a recurring revenue model. Unless you're going down maintenance contracts or you know, unless you're going down some sort of home care plan, it's not an easy strategy to build. Um, but obviously, if people in the room are going to start building their personal brands and putting out information and doing it that way, then there's an opportunity for you. But which one would you pick? Both. 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 Take you 15 minutes a day to do a Facebook Live and pitch your recurring model at the end of it. So for the other seven hours and 45 minutes, build an outbound sales team. I'd do both. You don't have, like, I get asked all the time, would you rather do A or B? And my first reaction is always, well, can I do both? Why yeah. can't you do both? I'd do both. The thing with the recurring model is, um, it, it's, it's not a lot of reward now, but it's a massive amount of reward later. But like Joe said, direct selling, you can build a decent income pretty quickly if you hustle. So I do both. I am doing both. I mean, I'm not shutting my sales floor down. I've got about 35 sales staff all on the phones. Four hours a day we make them be on the phones, like talking. I'm not shutting that down just because I'm making sometimes six figures a month on a subscription platform. I'm doing both. Elon Musk isn't shutting down Tesla because he bought Twitter. Mm -hmm. Doing both. And, um, you know, driving sales, direct sales is a numbers game. And you've got to have, you know, you've got 35 people driving the sales. And one of the messages that I'm always preaching out is you've got to build sales teams. You've got to have people. You've got to be sitting here and making money, not just your business stops while you're sitting here. Um, and building out sales teams is the way to be able to do that. Um, but a sizable sales team. And I'm saying that specifically for a couple of people in the room that I've had conversations with um, and um, just letting them know that you've got to increase the size of your sales forces. Look at how many people Rob's got. And effectively, you're worried about switching to recurring revenue models. Well, the reality is Rob's 35 people are a recurring revenue model, aren't they? They, they are perform consistently yeah. every single month. So although it's not guaranteed business, he knows that based on the amount of leads that he's got with the amount of people in his sales team, he's going to churn out a consistent conversion rate every single month, give or take a few percent. Would that be fair? Yep. Do you know it's much harder to manage seven people than it is 107? Much harder. Because I've done both. Much harder. Because when you have seven people, you're managing them all. And it's like having seven fucking kids. When you've got 107 people, you're only managing your MD, and your MD is managing your senior team, and your senior team are managing your middle management, and your middle, middle, middle management are managing the sales team. Apparently, we've got all sorts of shit in our sales team all the time. They don't turn up. They, you know, they just go fucking AWOL. They shag each other. All this shit. I never know any of it. It's not my fucking problem. It's not my problem. It's my sales manager's problem. Yeah. On that note, that's all of my questions. Let's give Rob a big, big round of applause. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Really, really good stuff.